see God as he has revealed himself to be. Your response is worship. See, when people respond to God wholeheartedly, they haven't seen him. When people respond to God in a very cavalier fashion, they haven't seen him. You haven't got a glimpse of him. You haven't got a view of him. When, when, when you respond to God as if he owes you something, you haven't got a good view of him. And when you're upset with God because of what he hasn't done, you haven't seen him well. God says, when, when, when you see me as I've revealed to myself, your natural response would be worship. Why? Because you and I were created for worship, our ultimate aim. We find our greatest pleasure in worshiping God. Why? Because that is for which we were designed. We all know things that were designed for various, and sometimes we use things that weren't designed for that for that. What do I mean? Like you use your book as a hammer. When you're trying to hammer in some things, you use that book. And if, if what you're trying to hammer is harder than the book, you'll damage the book. Sometimes we will use things to prop some things up that weren't meant for that. And, and so many times they will have to tell us in our manuals, especially here in this country, they'll have to tell you what not to do. Because it wasn't designed for that. And God tells you and I, when you are not worshiping, you are out of design. And thus your whole life will be affected by it. And so this morning, as we continue to look into the Sermon on the Mount, had a wonderful time. You guys will get some of the benefit of that, of that class, a class where, the, <clears throat> where the, the, the author of the textbook was actually there to teach us. It was on the kingdom of God. And one of the things that came out over and over and over <clears throat> is the importance of the kingdom. Jesus spoke about the kingdom more than anything because it was what God was designed. It was what God had from the beginning. We see his rule and his reign, his kingdom. And now that the king has come to rule the kingdom, he is setting in order what it is, what its values are, and how we should live if we call ourselves kingdom citizens. Stand with me this morning as we read a portion of our text. <clears throat> it's found in the centerfold of your bulletin. We're only going to read from 9 to 24, although the context and what we will be looking at this morning, I'm sorry, 19 through 24, the context will be 19 through 34. And let's read it together. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <clears throat> the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I know that we've heard this verse preached in many times, forms, variations. And many times after we've left, we've almost crawled out because we've gone, oh, boy, I'm in bad shape. The way I think about this, my, my motive, my desire today is not have anyone crawl out, but to look to God, is to look to Christ, the king of the kingdom. And so as we see here, I want to put a title this morning I want to put a tag on this, and I was asked the question, where are your treasures? Where are your treasures? Subtitle, Kingdom Values. What God, what, what, what Christ is looking at for you and I this morning is, is what he is giving now is the values in which we should hold as high priority as kingdom citizens. We, 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 we looked at who we should be and, and, and the blessed life, and then we looked at what happens with that blessed life is in, in the way they give, in how they give, not to be seen, and that, they, and that they pray not to be seen, but to communicate with God, and in their fasting, it is to humble themselves before God. That's what, they, that's what they see. But now we switch into the values that will be at the foundation of the kingdom man or woman. What is it that you value? What is it that you treasure? Where is your treasure? There are some words I want us to be able to look at and to understand. But before I do that, I want to take you guys back a moment. Just, just back. I want you, I'm going to give you my stories, and you just think about yours. I want you to go back for a moment in your mind to something in your past that was once new, that was once fresh, that was once clean, that you were once excited over, but doesn't exist like that anymore. Let me give you a couple examples. I remember the, the day, I remember the day in, in the parking lot in the housing projects that we live in. I remember the day that my dad brought home that 1971 Ford Country Squire with panel on the side, brand new. Because now we actually had a car that all nine of us could fit in. And I'm still, I'm still wondering the circus act that we performed to get nine of us in that station wagon. And we drove down to North Carolina from New York, which at that time, because 95 wasn't fully complete, at that time was like a 13-hour trip. I'm, I'm still trying to go through that circus, but I remember the excitement of it. But I also remember about 19 years later when my dad was getting ready to take it to the salvage yard. It had served his life. It, it, had, it had served for me as well because I was a young guy that, as, as he let me borrow it one time, I let this one guy know with an old Camaro don't mess with the four-barrel carburetor under the station wagon. <laughs> Thank God the police were not around. But that car had served well, but I remember the excitement, and I remember it being gone. I remember the excitement of that suit that I had. Some of you have seen the picture. Boy, eighth grade graduation. You couldn't tell me nothing. 
had my three-piece suit and my velvet bow tie and my platform shoes and my little afro, and I was tight. I have no idea where that suit is now. You couldn't get me to put on platform shoes <laughs> at all. Well, actually, I couldn't get into that suit even if I knew where it was. But it's long and gone. Sweet suit. Every time I look at that picture, I thought, boy, you, you thought you were something. I also remember that time when we moved into our first house. We had lived in the projects. I grew up, my parents brought me home from a hospital into the housing projects that we lived in until I was in high school. And I remember when they bought a house in Brooklyn in this residential neighborhood and that we moved in and, 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 and all the newness and freshness and, and, and how life had changed for us, that we were out of that. But I also remember just recently one of my siblings put on, we have a little group chat between my sisters and brothers, and so they put on there the house that my dad ended up selling that house after my mother had passed away, and we were all out the house, and he sold it, and we looked, and that the house was being foreclosed on. It was in disrepair, and we all looked at that. was like, whoa, whoa, what happened? See, do you see a pattern here? There is a pattern for things that are of this earth, and it's a pretty predictable pattern. New excitement, good use, all gone, maybe even forgotten about. And that cycle repeats itself over and over and over. This is our earthly domain. This is our world. And those things, you know, those fresh shoes, that, 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 that new city that you're moving to, that new college, the, the high school, everything that is nice and new, bright and shiny, that is placed on this planet will one day be old and gone, rust and go over. The freshest car, even if it's restored three times over, the fourth time will still get old and it will have to be put away. Here's the point of it is that anything that is on this planet is transient. It is temporary and thus is the focus for Jesus as he's talking to his people. Remember that they came up to him on the mountain and they're sitting at his feet and they're listening to him giving the values and giving the law of the kingdom. And he says to them, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. I'm going to stop here for a second because it's a play on a couple of words here. They're almost, I mean, they're not the same word, but the same, the same, and they're not the same form of the word. But if you saw them, you would go, is that the same word in different form? When he says, do not lay up or store up, <clears throat> it is almost the same word, different form as treasure. Why? Here's the point. When it says do not store up, that means do not reserve, do not put away for yourself, do not keep in safekeeping. We do that for yourself treasure. So it's almost saying do not treasure, do not store up those things which are meant to be stored up because they're precious. And so what he's talking about is those things that we place ultimate value on, those things that are precious to us, those things that mean a lot to us, those things that we're not necessarily willing to just part out to anyone. On a much lesser note, whenever 
my wife goes and just came back, so I just got to, I just finished that treat. Whenever she goes and, and, and goes back to Switzerland where we live for work, and so she comes back and she typically will bring back my favorite chocolate from a place called Lederach. I love it. And, 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 and because it's a chocolate tier and they make it there and they, it, it, it's a big layout and you go in and you tell them how much you want. And so if you say, I want 100 grams, I want 200 grams, they will break off the piece and will weigh it for you and put it in the fancy bag. And the fancy bag is because it's a fancy price. And so put it in and then they'll give it to you and then you go on your way. But it is the best by far. Sorry, Hershey's. Sorry, any other chocolate here just does not compare, period. And it's dark chocolate, which is usually for many, you go, I don't like dark chocolate. It's the best. And so it is treasured. And so I look out for that. Don't share it much. (laughs) She brought back two pieces. She said, this is yours and this is mine. And she took hers out good. So I don't have to worry about, is that your piece? Is that one? Is that one? It's treasured. Yeah, now that's on the food basis, on a smaller basis. But what Jesus is pointing to is that there is something that you should treasure. He says, but first let me start with what you should not. He said, what you should not make your overall priority, what you should not make that which holds top value for you, he says it's those things that are on earth or that are on this land, in this planet, on the ball in your life. And then he gives why. He says do not treasure these things because there, there are three things that can happen. Really two. Two have to deal with one and the other. He says where moths can get to, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. And so, in essence, what he's saying is, do not hold and give ultimate value to that which can be consumed and that can deteriorate. That's the moth. You, you ever had garments that were eaten by moths? And the reason you put mothballs in these things and the reason you, 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 you put them in certain kind of boxes is to keep them from consuming it. And that would be a problem. Or things that would rust, that new car, that new anything, if it is made of a material that is here, it can deteriorate. And so he's given us a perspective. He says, do not count as most valuable. Now, here, let me just say this. For all those people that want to get really super spiritual and say, well, none of this stuff on earth matters. That's not what he's saying. No, you need that car. And if you don't need that car, you need that bus made of the same material that car is made of. You need that bike. You need something that will help you to move through life. God is not telling us to go and hide and that we don't need material possessions. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that, oh, well, none of that stuff matters. And so you become this carefree, irresponsible person that doesn't think or care about anything. That's not what God's talking about at all. He is talking about what is it that you, what is it that you ascribe ultimate value to because that ultimate value will drive you and so he says do not treasure things on this earth where even if it's not consumed and it deteriorates you may not even get to use it that long because someone will steal it he says in other words it is susceptible to the evil that is on this planet everything he says but instead And what we'll see here in this portion, it is a text of contrast. You have contrast going on all throughout this. And many times, I know, I know, I know, 
Many times we see Jesus as, oh, Jesus, meek and mild. He loves me and he cares. He's going to do what I want and say no. Jesus frequently called people to make choices. He frequently did. He put it out there and said, now choose. He made it uncomfortable. He called people out, but he didn't do it in this mean-spiritedness. He was filled with love because he knew what was best, but he told you, choose. I'm going to place the value on it. You choose whom you want to follow. And so he says here for them now, he gets in and he says, understand as the king talking about the kingdom, he says, where your values cannot be is in anything that's attached to this planet. That covers all of life for us. Now, he's not saying don't use it. He's not saying don't place a value on it. He's saying don't make it your treasure. That's ultimate value. A while back, I had a chance to speak at Faith um, Church, and, and I mentioned, I think, in our Bible study, there is a, we, we want to make this difference between ultimate value and actual value. And, and something that has ultimate, I mean, something that has actual value. These chairs have hopefully actual value. You come in, they're to sit on, they're to use, they have a, a reasonable level of comfort. That's no problem. It has actual value. But if I turn this chair into some sort of shrine and everything I do centers around this chair, you'll be like, dude, like, what's up with you? You're like, you nuts or something? See, the deal was if I take something that just has actual value, something to sit on, to recline, to rest, to have some comfort, and I give it ultimate value, it, it, I, I, it, it loses its intent, and I lose out on those things which should have ultimate value. What do I mean by that? Okay, well, 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 well let's think about it. Our houses, people, houses were meant for what? To protect you from the elements, to have a reasonable level of comfort, to house the people that are living in your house, maybe they're entertained, you know what, and, and actual value. But if I give it ultimate value, boy, everything is driving my house. And if now I'm looking, you have a better house, I need to get another one. Why? Because, boy, this house has ultimate. It is, I have attached greater value than it should to it, and everything I do is around it. You know, people that do that all the time. We do that with cars. Ultimate value, boy. It, 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 hey, I like a nice car, period. But when it has ultimate value, I live for the car. I go broke for the car. I will mistreat you to get the car I want. I will use you for the car I want. We just renegotiated, and, and, and you know what? We, we, we just got a, another car, and in this process, I saw something that just interested me. Went to a couple of car dealers, and I said from the beginning, you know, here's what I mean. I, I don't I don't do the sales talk, and I was like, just, just stop. Here's where I am. If we, if we can't get within here, I'm leaving, you know? And so, and it's reasonable. I wasn't out there in something crazy that I wanted them to give away the farm, no. But, but, but here's where, and I remember going into one, and it was the value on the car that we previously had that we were going to be giving in, trading. And so I said, if, if I cannot get here, we're not talking. And so first guy comes back. Not even going to say where, not going not to put him on blast like that. First guy comes back and he says, after 
checking the car out, taking it, giving it to once over. I knew the condition it was in because I drove it. I kept it. And again, I was the guy who learned under the man who kept his cars on average for 20 years, and they looked great when he was bringing them to the salvage yard. And so he, he, he came back with a value, and I was like, uh, that's really low because I knew where these cars were. That's really low. And then he said his paperwork down on the desk, and he didn't sit at a place to be hit. He sat it down in front of me, and he said, well, you know, since we're giving you a deal on this, and since we're, and so I just took his paper, and I picked it up, and I was like, well, you have it valued much higher. Why is it, why are you giving me less? And at that point, I said, greed, ding, 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 greet meter, greet meter. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye. Out I walked. See, the deal was you were placing too high of a value on gaining a couple of more dollars or, or several. Di- you were placing too high of a value, and it was over what you heard me say. See, sometimes for us, we will, st- we will walk over people to get what we want. Why? Because we have placed greater value on what we want than what God desires. Now, what am I saying? That you don't desire that? Not saying that at all. God is saying, put it in its place. That education you have, if it takes the place and has ultimate value, you will kill yourself educating yourself. If your career has ultimate value, you will wreck your families getting that career on track. Or as a matter of fact, when it comes to choosing a new job, you will look for that which just brings you the most and you fill in the blank. Status, money, uh, uh, toys. Uh, and, 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 and so it be, instead of going, Lord, where are you going to use me best as I start this new trek, this new job? Where are you going to use me best? Yeah, I may make a little bit less money. Now, what he's not saying is to be irresponsible. Well, I'm just serving the Lord, and I'm going to take nothing for the Lord. You you better go ahead and get you a job. You're going to be on the street. You can't go up to, when you go to Walmart, Kroger, wherever you go, the next time you go to the cash register, try this. Tell them Jesus paid it all. That person going to look at you, he said, he might have, but you better have some greenbacks. (laughs) See, here's my point. The material things matter. Let's not act like they don't. They matter. That job, it matters. Next time your mortgage is due right in the box, I'm a kingdom man. I have no (laughs) debt. And the response you will get is, I'm the repo man. Give me my house. (laughs) See, the issue becomes, let's not get it twisted. We've heard it preached before. God is not saying discount the material. Not at all. As a matter of fact, he's saying you better count it because it's, but use it wisely. And so he says, so don't lay up. Don't store away treasures where it can be consuming. But instead, he says, earth versus heaven, but store up your treasure in heaven. What is that? Those things in the kingdom, those things under the rule and reign of God, those things in Christ that he values that as you participate, as you, excuse me, as you embrace 
those things, it is storing up for you a reward that is in heaven that can't be touched because the one who is storing it can't be touched. He said, no one is coming to heaven to steal from me. No one, nothing in heaven is going to, uh, to, to rust. Moths don't know what heaven is like. They may know what your closet is like, but they don't know what heaven is like. See, the point of what he's saying is in you're in, you have your treasure in the wrong realm when it is here on earth. But he says, but the things that I give you, use it to the fullest while you're here. Go ahead and save that money. And so you can do the things that are necessary and do the things that God wants you to do in light of the kingdom. Do that. But what are you driven by? Because here's why I know that he is saying, what are you driven by? Because he says at that particular verse, he says, for verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, what you value ultimately is what is pulling the decision strings of your life. It is. Because when he talks about heart, he's not talking about that organ that's beating and pumping blood through your body. We know that. He is talking about the decision-making center of who you are, your passions, your thoughts, your values, all of that. He says, wherever that heart has placed its treasure, it's there. Wherever you are, yo, come here. there you are, man. Wherever you go, there you are. And so he says to you and I, watch it what you give your heart over to. And then he gives a little bit of clarity. So he says, verse 22, the eye, he says, so treasures to reject and, and, and embrace. And then he gives us this, this, this whole issue of, of good versus bad eyesight. Now, when he says eyesight, this is the mind's eye. It's what he's talking about. The minds. When, when, when someone says to you, do you see what I mean? They don't mean you physically see the meaning of it brought out. Your mind's eye, what do you see? What do you understand? How do you conceive it? And so he says in verse 22, it says, for, I'm sorry, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Again, he is contrasting here. But before I do that, let me just give you just a little bit more support. Um, uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 34 and 35. Luke is, is, is recounting Jesus speaking again. And I want you to see even after that what, what follows that gives some insight on it. Luke 34, Luke 11, 34 and 35 says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. It says, therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Now, it's interesting that right after that, Jesus has the conversations about the Pharisees and woes unto them. Why? Because they thought they were seeing clearly. They thought in them was light, but actually what was in them was darkness. And so they were to be most pitied. He is saying in, in, in Matthew, as he is saying in Luke, he says, the eye, your perspective and your clarity on life, you know, and, 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 and the purity of your, of your perspective is determined by the value that you have. 
What is he saying there? He says, if your eye is healthy, if you have the healthy perspective of who you are and life, and I'm not talking about just having some, uh, um, some sort of good thought about who you are. No, what Jesus is referring to is the values of the kingdom will bring a healthy outlook, a healthy perspective. When you value the things that Jesus values, he says your eye is healthy, your sight what you see and thus how you perceive things, how you move on from there is healthy, how you handle that bank account, how you handle that job, how you handle those relationships. You see clearly why, because your sight is attached to the values that Christ has. So he says, if your eye is healthy, it is full of light. And light represents purity. It represents clarity of sight. He says, you see well. You understand well. He says, but warning, if the light that's in you is actually darkness, you have duped yourself and you're in an even worse position. He is saying to you and I, if what you think is clear sight that God approves, and we'll go to Luke 11 with the Pharisees, that's why he said woe to them. They thought they had God's approval and they were totally opposing God and didn't even realize it. They were living a life that they thought was clear and pure because they had convinced themselves that this is what God wants. And we have a lot of people today sitting in our churches all across the world, especially in here in America, thinking that the way they are living, God is cool with knowing full well it is against his word. And so we go on thinking, boy, I'm living a clear and a pure life. And God says, actually, you are in total darkness, but are worse off than those who are lost because you think you're in the light. So you won't do anything about it. You're not coming in prayer to the Lord asking him to change your perspective because you think your perspective is great. That was the exact problem with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They thought they were on good terms with God with all their foolishness that was going on when actually they were opposing him. And Jesus says, woe unto you, you blind guides. You've ever been led someplace by a blind guide? If you ever wanted to follow, let me show you around. And you go, unless you know every square inch of this place, that you can take five steps and stop and know where you are, I don't want to follow you. Why? Because a blind guide can't see how to lead and where to go and what's next. And he was telling the Pharisees, that's exactly how you are. He says to you and I, when you are living outside of God's world, boy, you're actually fooling yourself. And you are living in darkness thinking that because you come to church, you are sitting in light. But then he ends it. He said, ultimately, this thing is about masters. This thing is about who you will serve. Now, understand, contrast again. When he says hate and love, he is not talking about the hate as we think of hate. When he talks about he is talking about two opposite, play, two opposite stands because he says also in another place, if a man doesn't hate his mother and father, and hate, and, and, but then he talks about honoring your mother and father. 
Hold on a second. What's Jesus talking about? He's not talking about the hate that you and I think that you despise them. It's not what he's saying. He is comparing it in contrast. He says it is you are incapable of serving two lords. Let's not think employers because some of us may have two or three jobs. It's not what he's talking about. We can't relate that to employers today. What we relate it to is if we can step out into another kind of culture, he says you can't have two lords who are telling you how to do, telling you how to live, telling you how you should think, telling you where you should go. You can't follow two people like that. If you want to relate it to something, try having someone that has two bosses sitting in the same company. And one is telling you one thing, and then, no, 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 bro, don't do that, don't do that. I want you to do this, and you start, no, no. He said, you can't serve two lords or masters. We don't have the capability, is what Jesus said. You don't have the power. You're not able to. He says, because you will, it will be love for one, and the other will have the opposite affection. It will be devotion to one, and the other one will have the opposite affection. And then he gets specific. You cannot serve God. And it said, mammon really was, was thought to be anything that we could, that, that, that we desired, but it became known because money has become such a heavy factor. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Money is a Lord that will require some things of you. He says, if you want this, here's what you will need to do. Can I take you back a little bit to the temptation of Christ when he had come from being baptized? It's that very last one, especially, that I want to focus on. And, 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 and the very last one says, if you be the son of God, he said, no, he says, I know, no. He says, look, he took him to all the world, and really he took him to the Roman Empire, to all the world, and said, here you go. When he said he showed them the world, we learned yesterday that that, 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 that world was a different word than cosmos, which is interesting. That it's, 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 it's a word speaking of political systems and, and, and actually economic system. He showed him the whole system of the Roman Empire, which really was the world at that time. Showed it to him and said, this is all yours. In essence, Satan was saying, it is under my influence because it was. He says, it is yours if you would, here it is, worship me. Satan understood clearly what the deal is. Who will you serve in worship? How did Jesus respond? He told him, be gone. Go away, Satan. He didn't have what God had in mind. You will serve the Lord God and him only. Here was the deal. He said, the kingdom of God will fully come about. Yes, it will, Satan. But it won't come because I sold out to your values. You say you have the world. Jesus says, my kingdom will overcome this world, but it will come God's way. And for you and I, he tells us, stop trying to accomplish the kingdom Satan's way. He says, you're not going to do it. You and I were met in worship to uphold kingdom values. And as we do that, we see more and more the increase of the kingdom's uh, rule, or, or, or we are realizing more and more the effects of the kingdom on this domain. He says you cannot serve both. And then as a result, therefore, and we're coming down to a close, therefore, he says therefore, therefore, or because, because of what? Because of the fact that those things which are of this world are transient, they're short-lived, because um, those things can be 
corrupted and can go away. He says, because you can be distracted in your perspective and your eyesight by the things of this world, that's the eye is full of light or full of darkness, and he says, because you have to make a choice between which master, which Lord you're going to serve, he says, therefore, do not worry. Why was he saying? He says, when you make the right choice, it will affect this thing called worry, and that word for worry is to scurry about frantically trying to get something accomplished or done, and you're afraid that it might not. He says, don't scurry about life trying to get done what's not important. When he says, now, don't worry about your life, understand what he is saying. He says, so, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, here's what he's not saying, that you be this carefree, don't worry, be happy person. I'll eat whatever is provided. I have no plan for tomorrow. I save nothing. I work nowhere. I don't do anything. I'm always at the last minute. You, you know what? I'm always asking for help because I want everyone to come to my aid because I have no plan for my life. That's not what God's talking about. When he says don't worry, he is saying those basic needs of life, just like those earthly things, he says, that are transient, so are your basic needs. So he says, don't scurry about frantically because you belong to the kingdom and the king is here. So here's what he says. He says, don't worry about it. Those basic needs, what you eat, drink, what you wear, where you go. He says, don't worry about it. Don't get caught up in. Because if you do, you can go off. Let me turn just real quick. 2 Timothy 4.10. There was a, it was a very sad. We don't know what happened to him afterwards. We don't know if he returned. But if you turn with me to 2 Timothy 4.10, there is, Paul is giving personal instructions. Verse 9, he says, do your best to come to me soon. He's writing to Timothy. Then he says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He says, and Demas was one serving with him, serving faithfully, walking with the Lord. We would say on fire, doing the things of the Lord. And it said, because he loved this world. I don't know if it was because he couldn't handle the pressure and the, and the, uh, the persecution that was happening, or if he didn't get what he wanted, or he saw his buddies that weren't Christians and how they were living. It just says, because of the love of this world, its system, and the way it does things, and the way it hands out things, he left. And that desert, it speaks of, he dropped everything and walked away. I'm done. Peace. I'm out. I don't want this anymore, Lord finished. And there are people today that are doing that. We have demises all throughout there saying it's too hard. And when you think about the parable of the soils, what that means, it's too hard. It's either it fell on shallow ground, you had a shallow life, and when the sun hits, when persecution hits, you're, you bounce. Or it's the one after that, that where there is some growth, but the cares of this world or the affairs of life choke it. And you don't want to serve God anymore. And he says to you and I, 
when that word is on good soil and when your heart is right, it will grow. And even though the sun comes out and there is persecution, even though there is pressure. So he says to us back in Matthew, he says, look, he says, don't worry. Do not be anxious for any of those basic needs because life is more than your basic needs being met. I know for some of us, it is, we go from day to day just as long as I get food, I, I got my house, I can drive to work, I'm cool. God says, there's more to life than that. He goes, for you and I, it goes even further. And then he says, look, understand this. I want to give you something. He says, let me help you out with it, kingdom person. Take a look at nature. Look at how God takes care of it. They don't tend to themselves. He tells you, look at the birds of the air, they're fed. He tells you, look at the grass of the field. In other words, he's saying, look at the other aspects of my creation and how I take care of it, and they don't take care of themselves. So if I will take care of these aspects of my creation and things that exist, how much more will I take care of the pinnacle of my creation, the one that is made in my image? The one that represents me in my domain on earth. And so he says to you and I, don't let the basic needs of your life come in front of become an idol to you walking with God. Use them. Don't let them use you. Use them. Don't worship you. Ultimately, ultimately what? Because you and I were created for worship, something that we heard, which was so good this week, and something we heard in this whole Exodus, which again, for now, Christ came for the new Exodus, bringing us out of sin, Egypt meaning the world, into newness in Christ, and he leads us out like Moses, to the new Moses. But here's, here's what we understand. When you look at the book of Moses, and when you look at what um, Moses was to tell Pharaoh, he said to let my son Israel go, he says, so that he may worship me. When God frees you and I, it's not so now we can skip free living this materialistic life filled with our own agenda and filled with ourselves. God says, that's not why I freed you. He says, I freed you from Egypt, the world, so that you might uninhibitedly, uninterruptedly worship me. You will see me as I am and respond properly. And so for you and I, when we let the career, the job, the clothes, the car, the cash, the low account, the high account, by the way, the high account is also a temptation because the Bible talks about how hard it is for a rich man to get into heaven. He's not saying it's impossible. It's hard. Why is it hard? And God is not against wealth. Please don't get that. He is not. What he's saying is that what it does for us, it gives us a false sense of being okay. And we don't trust him. And so he said, we trust their riches. He says to Timothy, warn those who are rich in this current age. You can't get any clearer than that. On earth, he says, warn them. Warn them. Why? He says, good look, think about it. Because he wants them to trust in God because the tendency is to trust in yourself. Hey, I don't got to pray to God to get that car. I can go take it right now for cash. Boom. I want that one. As a matter of fact, I want a blue one as well while you're at it. He, you, he, he says, getting resources is not an issue for you. You're not worrying about where the next rent is coming from. You're not worrying about the mortgage. You might have bought the house cash. He says, you're not worried about your bank account. You might have four of them. He says, you're not worrying about it. 
But he says, but here's the issue is where, the, where, where, where your danger is, is you don't or you discount or don't think about God. I don't need you, God. I'll call you when a crisis comes. And he said, the warning is for you and I, for the rich, is to stay intentionally in to God, dependent on him, knowing that you can provide with what you have for yourself. God says, be careful. He's not warning people not to be rich. He just says, be careful if you are. And then at the end, he says, do not be anxious. He says, why? Because those outside the kingdom pursue or crave those things. That's what those outside the kingdom, the Gentiles, seek. But then he finishes with this. He says, but biggest contrast in word that you can have in Scripture. He says, going this way, but instead, seek First, as speaks of priority, make your top priority the kingdom of God, that which Jesus rules over, that is here now and yes, not fully experienced, we will, he says, and the righteous living that comes from it. And guess what he says? I'm going to throw something in. If you put my values, if you make my values your top values, if, 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 if the lifestyle I want you to live is the one you live, he said, here's what I'll do. He says, I'll, I'll, I'll actually throw something in. I'll add all the things that people are killing themselves for will just be given to you. You ever had someone add on, uh, add on stuff? I remember... Uh, going to buy cologne one time. And, and, you know, if you buy a good enough cologne, they're happy that you bought from them, and they'll take all those samples. You didn't ask for those samples. They take them and they throw them in your bag, and now you got about four, four or five different samples, and you use them forever. Yeah, you do. You have to get every bit out of it. That's added. You didn't buy it. didn't ask for it. It was added. Why? Because of something that happened before. God says, seek me first. And the righteous lifestyle that comes from living me, he said, I'll add. Add what? The things he just talked about. What things? Clothes, living, food, what you're going to wear, where you're going to stay. God says, I'll do that. Now, you keep saving and living a disciplined life and doing what you need to, but God says, I'll take care of that for you. But here's where he ends. I love this. Jesus says, but I understand in every day there are concerns, there are worries, there are things that you have to focus on. He says... Just live for moment by moment. In sports, they go one step at a time, one day at a time, one play at a time. God says, just, just focus on, okay, if you need to be concerned with something, be concerned with what you are doing today. He said, because tomorrow when it comes, it's going to have its own trouble. He says, but, you know, every day has enough trouble of its own. He says, you focus on today because you are anchored for your future in the kingdom under the king. So it's set as secure. God says, I know you have needs. He says, your father knows you have need of them. As a matter of fact, he knew that you had a need before you knew you had a need. And you may not even know that you have a need. And God still knows that you have a need. And he says, this is the kingdom I'm talking about. And he says, you're listening to the king, the ruler, the one who provides, the one who brings the resources, the one who protects and the one who covers. He's the king. And so he says to you and I, where is your treasure? What do you value? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.
Lord, that you help us so much in helping us not